Welcome once again to another episode of the Random Access Podcast brought to you by RAPodcast.net. This is episode 419 recorded live on Sunday, July 5th, 2015. And here are your hosts. The man who wasn't here last week was, but was here yesterday, Andy Lowe. Hi. The woman who was here yesterday, my wife, Kate Shaw. Hello. And the woman who, for some odd reason, is here today, Kat Byer. Hey. So to explain to that to those of us who don't already know, so um, we're recording on Sunday because uh, we had originally planned on recording on Saturday, July 4th. Um, but uh, just to put this in perspective, first off, before the episode even started, my mic stand uh, was having issues, so the mic kept on randomly falling, so I had that figured out. Uh, but we're recording on Mumble. And normally when we record on Mumble, I have Kate muted, so there's not a loopback going on. Because I'm about a foot away from him. Yeah, I can touch her. That does sound creepy. My apologies. Only a little creepy. Um, but I didn't realize that if you have somebody locally muted on your Mumble, uh, it won't record the channel. So there was an episode of me and Kat talking to a third person who nobody could hear. I'm sneaky like that. And on top of that, even, um, I didn't have my mic plugged in. And so uh, if you remember the episode that I think I called bad audio, yeah, my audio sounded something like that. I, however, was perfectly clear. Yes, Kat was just on the ball. She sounded wonderful. It was perfect over there. It was just over here where everything uh, fell apart. We didn't think you'd want to listen to that. So we're doing it again. Because it would be me talking underwater, talking to Cat about something that somebody said off mic that nobody could. It it would have it would have been bad. So we so, decided to uh, record again. I'm not quite sure it would have been bad. Confusing, yes. Highly confusing. It would have. It honestly would have been along the lines of what one of our April Fools episodes would have sounded like. Note to self for next April Fools. Actually, the April Fools after that, because I've got an idea for the next April Fools. But two years down the road, especially since nobody will probably remember the episode that doesn't exist. So then, including Andy, take notes. The yeah, part probably, that I'm really bummed out about is that Kate and I had some amazing banter yesterday, and no one gets to hear it. We were pretty funny. I'm pretty sure Andy shook his head multiple times at us. No, there there was multiple shaking of heads. I totally got a glare. That's the other thing is we're going to have to keep it like up and fresh, even though we've already talked about all the stuff on the podcast. I actually don't remember most of what we talked about yesterday, other than it being really funny. So we should be good. Well, I remember one thing that I talked about that I actually wanted to get your opinion on this one is um, technology and fitness education, because you are a runner like I am. And I was curious to hear what type of technology you were using while you run. So I actually don't, well, I use some technology. So I have my phone, I have the app um, Map My Run, and I usually use that when I'm running. And then sometimes I have my iPod. But I actually ran a 5K yesterday for the 4th of July, and it was pouring down rain. So I ran all natural, and it actually was kind of nice. Woo! I mean, I did have clothes on, but no technology. I was going to say they're all natural. Um, woo! Things getting crazy in Alabama. I've considered getting the Fitbit, the one with the GPS, uh, because I think it'd be really cool to be able to have that and be able to see all of that information. But it's also expensive and huge, and I have tiny wrists. 
And sometimes I like to just run and not care about everything. The surge is pretty big. Like I've got the the gear fit and the, the charge HR here, uh, which I was wearing both of them yesterday. Um, yeah, that's a fun story because uh, my gear fit updated on its own. And then um, with the update completely broke the software. So um, it was actually took me about a couple of tries to actually even get it up and running. And uh, lo and behold, on our bike ride yesterday, uh, it said that our max speed was 16 miles per hour, but we traveled zero miles. So it's still having issues. Go Samsung. Well, that makes things interesting. I'm sitting there going, wait, how did you know how fast we were traveling yet didn't record any of the distance traveled? That makes no sense. Side note, Kate, we had gotten up to 16 miles per hour on those hills. That's a miracle. I hate those hills. But coming down was hell of a lot of fun. That That's where we hit the 16 miles per hour. <laughs> going going up those hills, that was not 16 miles per hour at all. It's amazing we were able to stay upright. What do you think the grade is on those hills? Too high. That's an excellent question. One that I could find out if I had like five minutes, but I'll figure that out later. But going up the hills was hard because it was always just up, up, up. Coming down the hills, Kate was actually able to coast. It was like a roller coaster for her. It was just all gravity based for most of it. It was kind of amazing. It was the grade was steep enough that there were um, those warning signs on, on part of it with the uh, like the triangle and the biker. Nice. But so so you just use the map you run and an iPad for listening to music, right? You just listen to just any old music or? Well, I have one of those um, iPod, the little square ones, Shuffle. Yes, and so yes, shuffle. I made a running playlist probably five or six years ago, and I've never updated it. I probably should, but it's a whole bunch of just random ass music that I shuffle around with. Though because of the military, I can't run with um, headphones on when I'm in uniform. I've been running a lot more without music. And then when I'm doing races, I start without music and I see how far I can go before I need the music to kind of help keep me going. Yeah, I'm sitting here with two uh, fitness trackers on there, uh, the training app on my phone and my iPod playing uh, BPM specific music. So, Okay, I feel like the two fitness trackers needs an explanation. I have a Charge HR. And part of the band started to have issues. So when I contacted Fitbit about it, they sent me a new one. And Andy is wearing my semi-broken one just to try it out. Um, And also because his gear fit freaks out on him at least once a day. What do you mean by freak out? Well, go back to the bicycle saying, hey, you you didn't actually travel anywhere. It also also tends to disconnect. And to um, so it, it hooks up to his phone. It'll disconnect from his phone, even though his phone's in his pocket and the gear fits on his wrist. And then um, not only that, normally it would try and reconnect on its own. But because it's freaking out right now, it actually will pop up a little pop up message saying, hey, I need to update my app, even though uh, if I try and do that, it will go into a weird update loop. Um, So I have to hit cancel on that thing and then it will finally decide to start working again. Do you have a warranty on it? Is there something like wrong with the system or is it just like a buggy product? It's the software update. It was fine before the update. Oh, yes. I'm nodding in agreement on this one. I realize that you actually can't see this. Kate can see this, but you can't. Just pretend I'm Dave? No, don't. uh, No. I'd like to point out that the Fitbit, which two episodes ago he compared to Zynga, 
is kicking his Samsung's ass. Just putting that out there. I didn't compare the hardware to Zynga. I compared the, the IPO to Zynga's IPO. You compared the company to Zynga. I was sitting on the couch. I heard you. <laughs> oh, snap. The forever listener is getting you. That's totally what I'm going to start calling you now, the forever listener. I mean, I listened to all the episodes. Probably not this one, but I guess. I don't know. It might be fun to listen to this one just to see what happens with when Andy edits edits it and then, like, compresses everything together and all, like, the long, awkward pauses are gone. And we're just, like, extra witty. Wit it would be spot on as soon as, as soon as the temptation arises it will just sound like you are like on the ball i think we're more likely to sound extra crazy it could go either way so cat what do you think the the map your run does for you it shows me that i run a lot um it well it shows me my mileage um and it sometimes does splits though i don't know about the accuracy of it um but it kind of shows me how far i'm going and just so i can build up mileage um, I don't usually tend to pay attention to it for like speed workouts or anything like that. Um, and, you know, if I'm running someplace that I don't know very well and I get lost, um, I have a map that'll take me back to where I need to go. Oh, that's a very good idea. There's a couple of times from sitting there like, wait, did I turn left here or right here? Or, mm. How accurate do you find the uh, the distance tracking? I think it's pretty accurate um, for long distance. Um, I'm not quite sure how accurate it is if you're like under a mile. But, you know, over five, over ten, you know, it's good enough. Okay, because I use uh, Met My Fitness for when we go bike riding um, or walking. And it's always a little bit under what Andy's gear fit guesses. I think both of them are pretty close, but mine's a little under and his is a little over. So I tend to use, um, I use it for my races. And I would say for a half marathon, it's pretty spot on. Well, also now, also, now that's saying that the half marathon is, you know, measured correctly, too. But, uh, yeah. Oh, what year was it that I ran the Martian half marathon and they had incorrectly measured it out there? Because they, they only went and remeasured it afterwards after a bunch of people had complained. Like, wait a second. My GPS said that I ran like three point, I think it was like 13.5 miles rather than just the 13.1. And so they went out and measured it. And they're like, oh, yeah, we uh, we, we incorrectly measured this thing originally oops five years ago they were totally gotten away with it if it wasn't for those mangy kids in their gps dog dog i'm trying to do like a like a uh, not a snoopy um scooby scooby do yes thank you it didn't work i thought you were trying to be a rapper and just failing miserably hey and we'll just bring up the ill-mentioned uh burrito incident from yesterday that no one will get but us True, very true. But that could lead us into our food topic of the week. Only one? S- well, since, you know, it seems to be a It thing. was like 20 minutes yesterday. <laughs> I think we were all hungry yesterday. I'm still slightly hungry. But so what was going on last week on Twitter, uh, it turns out everybody has an opinion about guacamole. Am I pronouncing that right? I'm pretty sure guacamole sounds right to me. Okay, because, you know... You- did work at Chipotle, so I'm trying to think that you would know the... Do they have, like, a pronunciation guide of things at there or no? No, no pronunciation guide. Just, uh, this is the food. This is how you make it. Smile for the customers. Don't cut off your fingers. Definitely don't cut off your fingers. Don't burn yourself on the fry oil. Who hasn't done that? Let's be honest. So the New York Times was trying to promote this new app called, like, Cooking, and they wanted to bring up, like, some of the old recipes, so... 
The New York Times Twitter posted a recipe from 2013. The recipe said that you should add green peas to your guacamole, which everybody decided was a bad idea. I think what they were going for is for a textual element to it, because if you look at the recipe, they also added sunflower seeds, which is super weird, but it would add like a texture thing. I know a lot of people who have problems with avocados say it's the texture. And so maybe it's a way of helping those people with it. And the recipe has like a pea puree in with the avocado. And also like at the end, you throw in some more peas. Oh, I, I, I'm not a fan of guacamole, but this one just even just makes it sound worse. Do you think maybe they decided, hey, let's try throwing green things together and see what happens? I don't know. Poison ivy is green. You could throw some of that in there, see what that does. I was trying to think of other color <laughs> combinations like purple, right? You could have grapes and eggplant. Ugh. I think she meant edible green things. Well, you you can still eat poison ivy. It won't be good for you, but you can still eat it. If you're an idiot. True. I'm withholding comments right now. So over the first 24 hours of this Twitter tweet being posted, it had received 700 retweets and over 1,000 favorites. And it also inspired the hashtag GuacGate. Which I feel is an, an overreaction. I don't know that it warrants a gate. And I get that they're, I guess, trying to relate it to Watergate, but whenever I see guac gate, it makes me think of like guacamole's the gateway drug to other Mexican food or something. Psst. Hey, buddy, I got some guacamole for you. And if, if you want more than that, I've got some churros, and maybe some uh, what tapas. We we could we could really uh, get you get you going here. My inner fat kid would love that. That sounded really creepy. The the churros or the inner fat kid? The uh the weird whispering. Well, he he was he was trying to, you know, be discreet. He's a he's a Mexican food dealer. Yeah, but you're only gonna scare them away by being creepy. He was trying he was to be trying- secretive, not creepy. Not necessarily. Here in Huntsville, we have a taco bus. It is a bus parked on the side of the road and you go on it and you can get Mexican food. And it's a really dilapidated looking bus and kinda creepy, but really good food. We saw that in Puerto Rico on our honeymoon. There were food trucks all like on the highway everywhere, like all over the road. And some of them looked like and probably could not move. But when we would stop for food, there was really good. Plus, the people were super helpful. It was like, you know, no, don't worry about it. We'll uh, we'll get you something on the list there and you'll be good. Try this. You'll like it. No idea what we ate. We even took a picture of the sign, thinking later we could actually go and get somebody who understood Spanish to translate the sign and actually figure out what we did eat. We're going to make Limmer tell us. Could she not read it? Or did you guys not show it to her? I think we asked like six years ago, but we've forgotten. Plus, it was normally benign things like beef, pork, chicken. Some sort of weird banana thing, I think. Plantains? It wasn't quite that simple, but that was probably part of it. I still love it. It's It was like part of the culture down there was those food trucks because they even had like the food trucks that were in like the entryway to the Walmart where they had the donuts. Those are some good donuts. You could get like fresh made donuts right outside the Walmart. So surprisingly, there's a huge food truck um, presence here in Huntsville. They even have an I Love Bacon food truck. I would imagine that's a very popular food truck. 
it is awesome. So is it just like you just buy bacon or is it like bacon items or because I could I, probably go there and just be like, yes, I'd like a pound of bacon. No, it is definitely bacon food items. You can't eat a pound of bacon. Is that a challenge? Sure. We're going to Meyer later. We'll get a pound of bacon and he can sit down and eat it. I don't know. <laughs> something good. <laughs> something good or something horrible. Please take video of this and post it. He should have known better than to offer that up as a challenge. I forgot that we were going shopping today. This whole three-day weekend has thrown off my schedule a bit. I was thinking yesterday was Sunday for the longest time. Then I'm like, oh, wait, no, it's only Saturday. So what do you it's want to do? Right? It's Sunday. It is Sunday. Now you guys are confusing me. Sorry. You've got like two more days before you have to go to work. You've got time. Wait, you get Woot. tomorrow off as well? I do. Training holiday. Woot! So you are taking full advantage of this not having to work on July 4th, aren't you? It's crazy. It's, you know, I don't normally get July 4th off, but I get the whole weekend. And um, it's been amazing. Including Though I have been doing five. A, five. Though I have been doing a lot of cleaning, so I'm not quite sure how amazing that part is. But I got to see fireworks last night and eat ribs and run a 5K in the rain and sleep in, talk to you guys. Have the same conversations twice. The same conversations twice, so hopefully I'll have a better chance of remembering it. No, we're recording this one, so you can just go back and listen to it. And if you wanted to listen to yesterday, you sounded great. You could totally listen to what you said. Okay, I'm a little narcissistic, but I don't think I'm quite that bad. You can kind of hear Andy. <laughs> For clarification, he did that to himself. That was not me. So would you guys, getting back on topic, would you guys try the guacamole with peas in it? If it showed up somewhere, maybe. Would I make it? No. Yeah, I'm not that much of a guacamole fan. I think the last time I had guacamole was on accident because I forgot to say no to the free guacamole at uh, Qdoba's. First of all, your first mistake was eating at Qdoba instead of Chipotle because Chipotle is so much better. And two, there was free guacamole and you didn't like it? No, I did. I, Normally when I go to Qdoba's, I always get the uh, the, the roasted uh, veggies, so like the, the roasted peppers and onions and stuff, and then I get that with chicken and rice, and that's a pretty good combination. And all of a sudden I'm like, I'm eating, I'm like, what is this flavor in here that I don't understand? And look at it, I'm like, oh, it's guacamole. Oh, eh. The Qdoba's is literally across the street from where he works. And there is a Chipotle, but it's like a mile down the road. And this is one of the main drags in Kalamazoo. So it's like one, two, three, I think three or four stoplights down the road, too. So it takes a bit to get there. I feel like the only appropriate answer is like hashtag first world problems. The You're other the one who complained that he didn't go to Chipotle. It's a mile. You could walk. And I'm sorry to say, but I honestly cannot taste the difference between the two of them. For shame. I should probably point out to people that I worked at a Chipotle while in grad school. So your opinion could not be entirely unbiased. Oh, it's biased as hell. But, you know, how many people can work at a fast food restaurant and then still recommend it to people? That is an excellent point. There are reasons why I've never gone to a KFC ever again. You never worked at KFC. Yes, but I knew people who worked at KFC, and therefore I will never eat at a KFC ever again. I suppose that's good to know. Why, were you thinking at some time in the future of going to a KFC? We haven't gone to a KFC in the last 12 years. I didn't really think it was on the horizon, but 
I didn't really know there was a reason. The last KFC I went to was because we were in Kentucky, and this was KFC store number one. That's the only reason why we stopped by that KFC. It's like, oh, it's the, the original KFC store. All right, let's stop there for lunch. Would you guys enjoy some fun Asian fun facts about KFC? Yes. So in Japan... Um, they didn't really understand the whole Colonel Sanders thing. And so they thought he was Santa Claus. And so they tend to relate uh, KFC with Christmas. And so in Japan, it's really difficult to get KFC the day before Christmas because all the Japanese feel like they have to go out. Well, not all, but a lot of Japanese people feel like they have to go out and eat KFC. And so you actually sometimes have to pre-order KFC for the day before Christmas. That's kind of amazing. So it's not the Christmas ham or the Christmas goose, but it's the KFC <laughs> Christmas bucket. Yep. Wow. I love the Colonel Sanders equals Santa Claus, but <laughs> it makes it very fascinating. I wonder if they realized that right away or if it took the people at KFC to wonder, why, why are our things just keep spiking right around Christmas in Japan? This, I don't get it. I noticed they didn't really try and stop it, though. <laughs> business is business. Well, heck, it's like our modern uh, version of Santa Claus was originally created by Coca-Cola. Coke's not going to stop that. They're very proud They're of it. Very- do you think something along the lines happened with uh, Chinese food and Jewish people on Christmas? Or do we have any idea how that came about? I think part of it was that the Chinese food was open. You guys have always celebrated Christmas like on Christmas. So I don't know that, that you have really tried to do anything on Christmas. I mean, my family stopped celebrating Christmas on Christmas in like 1999. So if you don't want to just like sit in your house on Christmas Day, there's not a lot to do. Well, I still remember when it was... Uh... We were, what, coming back from Easter brunch or something like that, trying to find a place to stop for dinner. And it was like, oh, that place is closed. Oh, that place is closed. Oh, crap. Like, what's still open? Luckily, like, Pop Bellies was, like, open for, like, a half hour longer than what we were going to be there for. Meyer is closed one day a year, and it is Christmas Day. They actually closed for a bit before their Black Friday stuff as well. But they're still open on that day. True. Meyer, for those of you not in the Midwest, is basically a Walmart, but it's Midwesty, Midwesterny. Not the regular Walmart, the super Walmart that actually has fresh produce and stuff. Yeah, where do you go shopping down there, Kat? There's a lot of opportunities for grocery shopping here. Um, we, of course, have the Walmarts and the, the super Walmarts and the super Targets. And we have Kroger. And we have someplace called Aldi's. And there's a, uh, a chain called Publix, except it's Publix with an X at the end. Um, and actually, I really like this new place called Sprouts. It's kind of like an indoor everyday farmer's market. I call it my hippie place. That's entirely understandable. I don't know what I would do if we didn't have Myers. Well, we'd have to we'd have to go to Walmart. Or no. our, our options would be either Walmart or Harding's. And see, I tend to avoid Walmart because, well, at least the Walmarts around here, they're really run down. I'd rather go to the Target. Our Target has food, but it's mostly like it's got refrigerator section and like candy. Although to be fair, our closest Target is down the street from both a Meyer and a Walmart. So they kind of don't have any market whatsoever. 
And they're right across the street from the Hardings. I think there's an Aldi over there, too. Oh, yeah, there is an Aldi over there as well. The, the Hardings on Drake, right off of Maine. Over by where that Lowe's is. Oh, yeah, I forgot about that Hardings. So I think this definitely covers our food uh, topics for the day. I'm sure we'll probably manage to sneak it back into food. But don't you and Dave usually talk about sports, too? I feel like we haven't done, like, the traditional podcast stuff yet. Uh, sports. Um, Tigers won yesterday. Woot. Two in a row. Isn't the big soccer game today, too? Yes. Women's versus Japan for the Women's World Cup tonight at 7 on Fox. Actual Fox. Not like Fox Sports or Fox Sports 1 or anything else like that, but actual legitimate over-the-air Fox at 7. Which all of you have now missed. Excellent points, and this will be coming out tomorrow. So go USA. I hope you won, and yay, congrats you won. Man, what a game it was, wasn't it? That was just, that was a game. I can't think of anything else going on. Well, uh, Wimbledon should be starting up soon, right? Look, at next for me is football season. I got a couple months. Yeah, Wimbledon should be starting up. Tour de France. Oh, shoot, is the Tour de France starting already? Does that mean you're going to start getting up at weird times in the middle of the night to watch people bike? No, no, it's not. Oh, stage two was uh, today. Oh, so it literally started yesterday. So it's a pretty um, non-U.S. centric sports time right now. Well, given that you're talking about international sports, why would it be U.S. centric? Well, I think the only like U.S. centric thing that's really of note going on right now is um, the all-star teams are going to be announced tonight. Fucking Royals. Yeah, for those who don't know, the Kansas City Royals have kind of uh, broken Major League Baseball's online voting for the All-Star teams. And we'll see how many uh, people get voted in from the Royals, people who definitely should not actually be on the All-Star team. I think at last count, they, they started with about eight out of the nine possible, and I think they're down to five. Yeah, there were a couple who made it in. Um, and other All-Star players will get voted in by the players and so forth, but uh, uh, most of the starting lineup will be Royals, whether they deserve it or not. Sounds like you have a lot of Royal fans just kind of trolling that website and just trying to take over. It was definitely an organized effort by the Royals fans. And, I mean, they didn't, well, some of them broke rules, but, you know, they just used the system that was set up and the other sports teams fans did not. Although Andy and I did vote. Which is why we have an, uh, an ability to gripe on this one. And the Royals are in our division, so we have a special hatred for them. So speaking of trolling, did you guys see about the Yelp trolls that are getting sued? Yeah, yeah. Uh... Some guy is suing for a million dollars a piece, eight anonymous Yelp trolls, since he said that their uh, fake reviews have caused his company harm, and so he's seeking damages. How do you sue someone who's anonymous? That is an excellent question. Now, supposedly, the owner responded saying that they know who it is, they just have to prove it in court. Okay, but you actually have proof. Um, Truthiness does not go down in court. The webpage has like the legalese of it, and it, none of it really makes any sense to me, but it, it doesn't sound like they're calling out a specific person and saying, hey, this is the person who's the troll. It's just like, these are their usernames, and we're going to get them. So my guess is in sometime in court, they're going to have to try and connect those usernames to the actual person, which... I think is near impossible with Yelp because all you need is just an email address to sign up for Yelp. So what we need, Jamie, 
I need you to look at this and let us know if this is bullshit. I kind of get that, like, you know, it's sort of like cyberbullying. But at some point, you got to say it's the Internet and people are being mean to me. Right. I understand wanting to address someone who is who is maybe unjustly leaving negative criticism of your business. But there comes a point when you just sound like a whiny you know, like toddler. Right. And you know what? You could create Yelp accounts and put a whole bunch of positive reviews and up your own score. I mean, if you really were that hurt about it. This whole lawsuit just seems ridiculous. I'm going to try and sue somebody because supposedly they were one of eight anonymous usernames that posted fake bad reviews on the website. It's like, what, 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 do you know who this person is and what you did to piss them off? If you do that, haven't you, why didn't you go to Yelp and tell them, hey, you should probably remove these? Because it was more fun to throw a tantrum and pay a lawyer, I'm going to guess a lot of money to spin his wheels. My question is what lawyer accepted this case? Probably one who wanted some money up front. Yeah, but then if there's absolutely no case and they take it to court, they look like an idiot too. Excellent point. My question is, how come this guy took so long to realize these fake Yelp posts? I feel like if you're a modern business, you should keep track of your own social presence on the internet. Well, eight Yelp posts was enough of a percentage of their total Yelp posts to try and like kind of tank their overall rating. So I'm guessing they're not getting a lot of Yelp traffic. And each one of those fake, fake posts worth a million dollars? I mean, I know some people are re- really big into Yelp, but I can't say that I totally trust every review I see online. Like, I tend to look at reviews and I kind of use them tongue in cheek. Um, you know, just because someone had a bad experience doesn't mean it's a shitty place. Or you could just have people putting positive review first things just so they can be part of the group. Like that, uh, the three wolf moon shirts that were on Amazon or the cheeseburger dress. It's one of those things where it's like, hey, I'm just going to post a positive review, make it completely silly just because I want to be part of the group. I don't know. I kind of liken it to like when you read book reviews on Amazon, you know, some of those people like either got paid for that or are, you know, the author's buddy or you can, you kind of got to take everything with a grain of salt. Although I love when someone leaves a book review and then gets the character's name wrong. Okay. Is it like a normal name like Sarah or Jane, or is it like a really hard name like Beazle Bop and Guacaloo? Somewhere in the middle, but I just love when like it's Sarah and they call them Sam or something. Like they just get the name wrong and you're like, did you even read this book? So we could actually go on to another sort of lawsuit related thing that we actually did not talk about yesterday. Ooh. New material. I know, it's crazy. So the company that makes the Adreno, which is that little tiny microcontroller computer-esque sort of device, is called Adafruit. You spell it A-D-A-F-R-U-I-T. It's weird. And so uh, for the 4th of July, they posted a video on YouTube of literally their controller spinning in front of a waving American flag as the United States Navy band played, I think it was uh, America the Beautiful. Just 30 seconds of that? No, uh, three minutes and 34 seconds of that. And so a company, a music licensing company called Rumblefish, sent them a letter saying that they claimed ownership of the song which played in the video and therefore wanted, you know, either A, for the video to be taken down or B, for them to get money for this thing. So I'm just going to put a point of contention in here. So when a military uh, unit makes a recording, they go through and they make sure that they get the licensing 
um, so that they can create that. And then it's free public because it's a military organization. So there's not really any rights to it anymore. Well, there actually still is rights of the actual song. So you can basically the sheet music itself has rights. And then the uh, producer of the song, i.e. the band, also has their own rights. But since it was... The United States Navy Band, you are correct. They are part of the U.S. government and therefore are not eligible for copyright protection. But then also the song, America the Beautiful, was written who knows how long ago. So therefore, when it was published prior to 1978, it's, um, it's, it's, it's in public domain. Right. So does this, I don't understand where this company thinks that they have any ground to stand on. They, they literally don't have any ground to stand on, but it was one of those things where it's like, how did this get through the YouTube? Like, cause they have to apply to YouTube saying, Hey, you need to copy. This is a copyright notice to YouTube and YouTube sends it to Adafruit saying, Hey, you need to do something about this, which it's Adafruit's like, um, no, no, we don't, which it's the music licensing company are like, wait, why did you guys even send this letter into YouTube in the first place? You have no ground to stand on, which you guys should have known that. Did you just somehow think that you owned America the Beautiful? I, I don't know. They named their business Rumblefish. They probably are not firing in all cylinders. Yeah, I mean, I understand copyright law is a little bit confusing. Um, I, because I have a master's in library science and I'm in a military uh, musical group, I have a lot of um, hands-on experience with this sort of copyright law. So I, I understand it, but I don't know how you would file a lawsuit and not understand copyright law. Okay, so even there, I'm looking into their thing there. Rubblefish uh, is specializing in all forms of synchronization licensing with a focus on micro licensing and online network monetization, such as YouTube's content ID. So these guys are supposedly like specifically about YouTube stuff there, and then they tried to copyright America the Beautiful. This is suppose this is not so, the first thing on here because it looks like we've got articles from 2012 and. And, uh, yeah, two articles from 2012 and the one from today stating that they've tried to uh, send copyright takedown notices for stuff that they don't have the rights to. They just sound like they like to make lawsuits and then hoping at some point one of them will stick. Gotta love the patent trolls. And surprisingly, this isn't the only lawsuit that we're going to talk about. We talked about a different one yesterday uh, with Samsung, with all the stuff that they add on to phones. Yes. In China, Samsung is getting sued for... The Samsung apps that are on their phone that you cannot get rid of. And they're not even just talking about Samsung phones. They're also talking about uh, Google phones as well, because the Google Note 3 has 44 apps installed, which you cannot get rid of. So I have a Samsung phone and I don't remember my previous phones having this problem, but there are ones that you you can't go in and uninstall, but you can disable them and kind of hide them, which is what I tend to do. Everything I'm not really quite sure, I just kind of go, eh, disable, hide, and then I just ignore it. Yeah, so we did too. But then also, A, those apps are still taking up space on your phone that you can't get back. And B, sometimes those things actually are updated without your agreement on it. And that I understand. I mean, that it sucks. Don't get me wrong. However, you bought the phone and... You know, not that there's a user manual to it, but, you know, you kind of come with the phone as it is. So if you didn't want that phone, why didn't you buy a different phone that doesn't have that problem? 
Well, they, they're, part of their lawsuit says that the companies didn't inform the buyers of the included software on the phone, i.e. So they want it to be clearly labeled of the included apps on the packaging and to provide consumers instructions for removing the applications. When I got my phone, the only instructions that came with it were how to turn it on. And if you can't figure that out on your own, you're never going to figure out anything else on that phone. There, yeah, there was stuff that when I got my S5, I had no idea how to do things. So I was like, oh, that's how you do that? It's like, oh, okay, so get the menu option again. I got to hold down that one button on the left until it pops up. Oh, that would have been good to know ahead of time. But think of, okay, even my phone just updated to 5.1. There are completely different ways of doing certain things on the phone just because of the software update. The hardware itself is still the same. And so you would have had to gone through all of the boxes that had the instructions in them, opened them up, replaced the 4.0 instructions with the new 5.1 instructions, and then had to seal them all back up again and send them out. And are they, every time they update our phone, going to tell us all the updates and what they've added and what they've deleted and all that stuff? No, this shit just happens and you go, oh, look, something happened. Like my gear fit completely breaking. Hey, look at that. I'm sorry. That's a, it's a bit of a stickler with me right now. It's that stupid goddamn app. Really, Andy? We had no idea you were upset about this. I'm shocked. I know. We're all shocked that I'm upset at this thing here. It was like a five minute rant yesterday. <laughs> During which I think you took two breaths. That sounds about right, yeah. I'm starting to go on the mellow out section here because I know there's nothing I can do until they fix their app. And so, hence, I'm wearing two wearable devices. Acceptance is one of the steps. Oh, what? I was thinking we were in psychology at one time and um, I was watching... Frasier. And there was an actually an episode of Frasier where he goes through all the steps during the episode. And um, I remember Mr. Gumminick was like, this is the perfect thing to see. I need to get myself a copy of this because it's literally all the steps in a nice 22 minute chunk. And it's just perfect. Off of that tangent, um, let's talk about bugs. Insects. Insects. Insects, actually. NASA is trying to help uh, save fuel on planes. And how they're doing this is by putting coatings on the wings of planes so that when they hit bugs, they don't change the aerodynamics as much and the bug splatter uh, doesn't cost the plane fuel. NASA is in like the NASA that put men on the moon? Yes, the NASA that put men on the moon, the uh, NASA's Environmental Responsibility Aviation Project, which was launched in 2009 to study new technologies to make flying more eco-friendly. They'll take any kind of funding they can get. I know. I just feel a little sad for NASA that this is where they fall into. We, Yesterday we, and today, you know how ThinkGeek has that T-shirt where it's like little kid in the spaceman outfit pulling the, the shuttle behind him looking all sad? That's what this makes me think of. I just feel like the person who's working on this is like, people ask him, so where do you work? I'm like, oh, I work for NASA. And people are like, oh, dude, so you get with the, like, the rockets and everything? And he's like, no, no, I uh, I shoot bugs at sheets of metal to see how the splatter is uh, affected. Well, sometimes people have to be space plumbers, too. Is that a Big Bang reference? Yep. Very nice. Very nice. So yesterday when we talked about this, you mentioned that it was like a 5% savings. And fuel, which can add up to a lot. So it's it's not like it's not making a difference if they figure it out. Um, 
but also that they have a cannon that they shoot crickets out of. Yes, to test the materials, researchers developed a pneumatic launcher to fire living bugs at the sample coating. They first used crickets, but then switched to fruit flies, which would be more representative of what planes hit during takeoff and landing. Probably easier to shoot crickets, though. The real question is, did they have to invent a cricket gun for this project, or did it already exist? Well, they said they developed a pneumatic launcher to fire living bugs. So I feel like, yes, somebody at NASA, when they ask me, hey, what do you do at NASA? Oh, I built a cricket cannon. See, I can't really hang my head with shame with that one. You know, I built a cricket cannon. Well, shit. That was probably the most fun out of the whole project was either making the cricket gun or testing the cricket gun. How often do you think they were trying to like aim that at other people and just like, hey, wonder if this hurts? Ow! Oh, I'm sure they're well aware of how close you have to be for shooting a cricket at someone to hurt. Cube warfare takes a new step. Oh, it's like bio warfare too, like crickets, and you're like, oh god. Cricket guts everywhere. My coworkers just throw paper clips. It's a whole different ball game. You always wonder about that. Like the engineering department of places, if they're like like cube wars are actually because you know how you have like the thing at ThinkGeek that has like the little remote control like foam arrow launcher sort of thing there. I feel like they would do that, but more serious. I will say that when the paper clip wars start, I put my safety glasses on, and so it is a safer paper clip war than maybe other offices have. See, at my work, we don't tend to throw stuff at each other. However, we have to use our um, ID cards in order to log into our computers. And you're supposed to take your ID with you when you step away from your computer for security reasons. But sometimes people will step away and leave their card. And so what we do to people's cards is really the fun part of the game. So you miss out on this by being your own department, Andy. That is true. I just hide in the basement by myself and try and, you know, fix things. Sometimes people don't even know that I'm in the building. They'll uh, they'll call my cell phone and I'll be like, hello. And they're like, hey, you're going to be in Kalamazoo today? And I'm like, I'm in the basement. Oh, I didn't know that. That's probably for the best. <laughs> there are probably a couple of people who may have come to you with problems who just figured it out on their own. No, that actually has happened a couple of times where uh, people were like, send me an email like, hey, when you're in town, can you figure this out? And I'm like, I'm in town. I go upstairs and I ask him, he's like, oh, no, I just figured it out a few minutes after the email. And then I asked them, how come you didn't send a follow up email then saying, hey, don't worry about it. I figured it out. So by you being your own department and hiding in the basement, you were teaching people to be self-reliant. That's actually pretty impressive. No, that's what I, sometimes when I, when things break, I, I go up to them and I'm like, okay, do you want me to fix this or do you want this to be like a black box? Because sometimes I'm like, I can tell you exactly what you did wrong, but sometimes it will just fall on deaf ears. And so do you want me to just fix this or do you want me to actually teach you how not to do this again? Sometimes people say, no, we just need this fixed. And other times people are like, yes, please enlighten me on what I did wrong. Other people, I just realize, are completely computer illiterate, and therefore, um, it won't help. It's really funny, though, is we got a new web uh, guy who handles the actual front end of the websites and all the, the web video and that sort of stuff. And what's really funny is when he learns who the computer illiterate people are within the first week of what's going on, where I go upstairs, I'm like, hey, kind of, you know, keep an eye out for this person because uh, they're nothing but trouble. And he's like, oh, I already have her in my phone as do not answer. I know exactly who he's talking about. That is fantastic. So, yeah, NASA shooting bugs at stuff. I wonder if that will make it into the Space Museum here in Huntsville. Given that it doesn't take place in space, I'm going to guess now. 
Although it is, I mean, it's a collection of really smart people and you have a problem. I guess, I guess it kind of makes sense. And like I said, 5% is not actually that bad of a savings. And you consider how many planes are in the air and, you know, the, the thousands of gallons or millions of gallons of fuel that you'd be saving in the course of a year. Yeah, I know. It's just sort of sad that NASA has gone from, you know, launching people into space to shooting crickets. So here's a question for you guys. Um, Windows 10 is coming out, which I'm going to update my computer, but Kate's probably not going to update hers. Kat, I'm guessing you're probably not going to update right away. Probably not, though I'd be curious to see how it looks because I have Windows 8 right now and I hate it so much. So if they got rid of the stupid tablet stuff or at least made it where I didn't have to see that. Well, like I have a thing that goes over it, so I don't have to see it most of the time now. But I don't, I don't know. I might upgrade to it or I'll wait until I completely destroy my laptop and buy a new computer with it on it because I'm really rough with my computers. It'll probably depend on my computer if they update me at work because d- it's better if I'm using the same interface both at work and at home. Although last time they, they updated at work, they offered us free updates for home or it was like 20 bucks or something. If I went with that logic, I would never update anything. I think they get a discount. My work, um, it, it takes forever for them to update anything. And so I have always had the new stuff long before they ever had it out at work. A lot of, I mean, we use several different software programs throughout the company, and a lot of those either only work with, you know, certain, um, Iowa, certain, um, systems or will only work with the new ones. And so that's when they update. But Kat, you also work for the federal government, which is super slow on doing things just in general. I am well acquainted with this. So Windows 10 is going to come out with an option called Wi-Fi Sense, S-E-N-S-E, which if someone with a Windows 10 device logs onto a new network, they can check a box to share their access with contacts, which include their Facebook friends, Outlook contacts, and people on their Skype contact list. So what exactly are they sharing? They're sharing the Wi-Fi password. So if I went somewhere or if I'm in my own house and I set up a password on the Wi-Fi, I could share that password with everybody on my contact list. This is like a really bad idea. Is there a way to partition through your contact list? Like, I don't care if Catherine comes over and knows my Wi-Fi password, but there are a lot of people on my contact list that A, never need to be in my home. And B, do not need access to my Wi-Fi. Uh, it looks like, according to the settings screen in Windows 10, the options are Outlook, Skype, and Facebook. Well, that's just dumb. So what would be the benefit of this? I mean, I understand you're kind of opening it up to the world, but why would you want to do that? Well, they're saying that this is actually, Microsoft says that this is a security feature. So using this, people can let their friends access their home network without having to provide them with the password, which cuts down on the conversation people have when you come to your house, like, hey, what's the Wi-Fi password? Um, and also the contacts that are able to log into a network using Wi-Fi Sense don't actually see the password. Okay, but so say Catherine comes over. And she's on our contacts list, so she gets our Wi-Fi password. But she brings a buddy with her who, you know, just happened to be with her. And because they're on her contacts list, do they get our password too? Because she now has it? If she has Wi-Fi Sense turned on, then yes, it will kind of share it with her contact list as well. Because as long as it uh, connects you to... And if you, when you connect to a new Wi-Fi network that has a password, I do believe it would actually share it with her friend as well. So how does this make it more secure? 
That is an excellent question. I would feel more secure just saying, hey, Catherine, here's our Wi-Fi password. I'm not I'm not sure I know our Wi-Fi password. So, okay, maybe I'm the idiot here, but this doesn't sound smart at all. Or maybe they're just hoping we're all idiots and we're like, oh, I want to share and share with everyone and then just open up all this security risk. Well, they're saying um, the user, a user who shares network access sends the password through an encrypted connection to a Microsoft server where it's stored in an encrypted form before being handed off securely to any of their friends who need it based on location data from their device. So if they have our Wi-Fi password, they actually have to be connected to our Wi-Fi before Microsoft will give them the password. Well, they don't even give them the password. They just basically tell them, hey, this is what the thing is, and then it connects on its own. Um, Microsoft also says that someone who gets access through Wi-Fi Sense will only have access to the Internet and won't be able to actually see anything else on the network. I still think hackers are going to have a field day with this thing. I was going to say, they say they can only access the internet, but we know enough smart people that'll make it more open than that. Yeah, if you're giving them access at all, then people have the ability to to bounce that access around. Not only that, how how many times do we get fake Facebook um, friend requests from just computer bots all the time? I mean, I think I've got probably three or four Facebook requests that I, I have told to ignore that are just, I know are computer bots because I don't have any other friends with these people. I'm not really searchable on Facebook, so I don't get have that problem. And there are people that I'm friends with on Facebook that I would never give my Wi-Fi pass- password to. Yeah, and that's just a little weird if all of a sudden it's like, hey, it's just because they're my friend and they're nearby my to my house. Well, then suddenly I'm, for- I'm allowing them access. No, I'm just going to, hey, this is what the password is. Most of the routers now anyway even have like a network password and then a guest password that you can tell other people. So your your personal stuff is all secure, but then you can still say, hey, the guest, the, the network is so-and-so guest and the password is this. So I'm assuming that if you get this, you will turn that off. Yes. Yeah. You can also make sure that... Um, manually enter to make sure the checkbox to share the network is turned off. So there's a checkbox that you can turn off. Okay. Well, my, I think my computer is actually wired. It's not wireless, so I won't have to deal with that. Yeah. No, I've got most most of the things in the apartment are wired here because um, I could probably reach out and touch the router if I got up from the chair. But this just seems like a bad idea. Just like the fact that um, Chicago is instituting a 9% tax uh, for streaming content. So uh, what sort of streaming content and how is the tax applied? If you are living in the city of Chicago and you decide that you know you know you want to watch some Netflix or listen to some Spotify or something, um, you will get charged a nine percent tax on the service. So instead of Netflix being what is it like eight nine dollars a month, it would be nine dollars and whatever nine percent of nine dollars is. So that's yeah. Is it just people who live in the city of Chicago or anyone who is in the city of Chicago? Anyone who is in the city of Chicago. If it is a city of Chicago IP address-ish, then you will be charged for it. My guess is for the online subscriptions, they're going to base it off of your billing address. Does Amazon Prime count into that? If you are streaming the stuff, so Amazon Prime Video, yeah, would probably count against that. 
So they're going to charge me 9% on top of the whole Amazon Prime membership? I do believe so. This sounds worse than it did yesterday. They are greedy bastards. So did we ever figure out what the tax goes to? So whether it's going to go like for schools or for a road or infrastructure correction, or is it just like a general pot and they're just being greedy and, hey, we can tax this, so let's tax it. I've been trying to figure out, because this is part of the uh, amusement tax, I've been trying to figure out what the amusement tax goes towards. But from all I can gather, it literally just goes into a big pot. And for them, that's how they divvy it up to everything else. So I think this is actually a 9% tax that just gets thrown into the general fund. Note to self, don't move to Chicago. Or stream anything if you visit. Does Steam count in this? Um, if you download the item, um, no. But then this might also, that stuff like that might also fall under the other half of it, which is the, oh, what do they call it? The non, non-possessiary computer leases. So what happens with those? Well, it's also another 9% uh, tax. So i.e. if you're using web storage, or if you're paying for like X number, X dollars a month for Dropbox or something, or Amazon Web Services, or uh, if you're paying for access to like LexisNexis, which is an online storage of documents for the legal departments, it, it will be another 9% more. But if that's under the entertainment tax... How do they know that I'm not using those things for business or for non-entertainment purposes? Well, this is actually, this cloud tax is actually two separate tax things that have gone into effect on the first. So they were one of them was the electronically delivered amusements, which was actually streaming only. If you actually downloaded your video, then it wouldn't be taxed. But if you're streaming it, then it would be taxed. And then the other one is this non-possessiary computer leases, which is you are basically storing your stuff on a web server somewhere and therefore will be charged an extra 9% to access it. And this took effect already? Yes, this took effect on the first. Why did they vote for this? Did they vote for it? They, they, this was entirely the city uh, department of finance basically creating this thing. So they didn't vote. Yes. The real yes. question is, how soon before other cities decide this is a great idea and do it as well? Well, there are already uh, some lawyers who are trying to fight this ruling, saying that this, you know, validates or you know, not validates, violates the Federal Communications Act and the 1998 Internet Tax Freedom Act as well. So there are people who are already fighting this thing here. So who knows if this actually will uh, follow through or not. I have a feeling, though, that if this is all based off of your billing address and where your IP is located, A, you're going to open up uh, a mailboxes, etc. mailbox in some place outside of Chicago so you don't have a city of Chicago address anymore, and B, you'll just install a VPN to make sure that your IP address is not located within the city of Chicago and is maybe in Joliet or something. I don't know that the average person would do either of those. True. If the cost for the to evade the law is less than the 9% that you have to pay for it, maybe it would be worth it. Well, and you know how to do that shit. Well, and not that hard. It's hard to set up a, a P.O. box somewhere else. But how many people not of your geek circle do you know that could set up a VPN? I can set up a VPN and I'm not that smart. I know of one. Punk. Well, we had to when I was in Korea um, because Koreans have a very have a lot of laws for decency and stuff like that. So, like, you can't get Netflix in Korea, and so pretty much all of us who 
were in Korea put up a VPN blocker so that we could watch Netflix or any of the other stuff that you couldn't get in Korea. Oh, also, I'm curious about this. How is the uh, Korean, how is it coming back to American phone service from uh, Korea? Well, uh, things are a lot slower here because in Korea, everything is super fast. However, uh, I can go a whole day on one battery, whereas in Korea, I carried multiple batteries with me and switched out throughout the day. Really? You had to swap batteries? Yep. The battery would not last a whole day. Wow, that's actually surprising. So that brings up two little side notes that we can finish up on. The first is that the European Union is dropping roaming charges for uh, between different countries in the European Union. Which makes sense. It makes sense because, you know, they're whole about this whole union and we've got all the same money. It wouldn't make sense that there's roaming charges if you go from country to country when the currency is all the same, too. Yeah. So they are saying that, yes, people could buy a cheaper SIM from a neighboring country and use it at home. So they're going to say there will be a fair use limit while roaming. So after which the networks can charge you a basic fee. But they're trying to basically um, say, like, yes, this is one country, quote unquote. Except for Greece. Oh, Greece. And the uh, other phone, well, actually, there's two of them, one that are pretty silly. Uh, the first one is on the 2016 Chevy cars, they're going to have a special AC vent for your cell phone. Which seems kind of crazy to me, but it actually kind of seems somewhat smart. I mean, we are so dependent on our cell phones and people tend to use them for GPS now. Uh, and so it makes sense to have like a slot for it and everything. And I guess they do kind of overheat in a car, but I don't know. It just seems so silly that it has its own AC. Yeah, so in the the uh, Impala, Malibu, Volt, and Cruise for 2016, there's going to be a little separate spot that you put your phone that's right in front of the uh, gear shifter in the center, center console. It's going to have wireless charging, be able to connect to the Chevy MyLink, and then it's going to have the active phone cooling feature, which is literally just a vent for your AC unit that's pointed directly at your phone. They say that this is because because um, the your car cabin gets really hot if it's just, you know, sitting out in the sun. And so they noticed some smartphones would stop charging or shut off altogether because of the high temperature in the cabin. And so this thing will try and keep it cool. I can't say that I would buy a car or not buy a car because of this feature, but I probably would use it if it was in my car. Plus, the wireless charging seems nice, though. I wonder how they're going to do that one. Because I wonder if you'd have to have a special case on your phone for this or not. And does it work if the car is off? Uh, no, it only operates when the HVAC system is turned on by the driver. Even the wireless charging? Uh, they do not say about the wireless charging. Yeah, see, that's the thing that I would think would be interesting. How close do you need to be for it to be a wireless charging and if it does if it works if the car is off because if the car is off and it's got a range on it you could just walk by cars and just kind of hold your phone up and charge well most of the wireless charging actually deals with uh transformers there's a whole electronic principle about wireless charging where you basically create a transformer between the two voltages on there so most of them have to be pretty close because you basically have to put your phone inside a ring of wires, which causes it to uh, transfer the energy. It's kind of like your um, your wire, your cordless uh, electric toothbrushes, where you have to set them on the stand for them in order to charge. It'll be the same exact thing. I stopped listening after you said ring of wires, because all I could hear was ring of fire going on in my head. 
Johnny Cash, anybody? No, no, yeah, I, I get it there. I'm just, oh, Johnny Cash. So last bit, Um, so a lot of the banking websites allow you to, you know, cash checks and stuff uh, from your phone. And then there's also the Google Wallet and the Apple Pay, which allow you to pay with your phone. Uh, MasterCard's getting into their own version of the payment. And it's payment via selfie. I think that needs a little more explanation. Well, we all know what a selfie is, right? Where I'm just holding the... That's not the part I needed explanation. I'm making sure we're all... We all know what a selfie is, right? So the idea is that you'd go to the store and you want to buy something with your phone. And so the Apple thing there, you'd have to like, you know, tap it there and use your thumbprint basically to pay for it. Uh, This one is the phone would say, hey, look into the phone and blink. And then it would say, oh, this is you. And then it would uh, pay for your items. I could see this holding up the checkout lines. Like it would be insane how long it would take for people to check out. Because they're probably going to want the light all right and all the rest of the things there. And it's, oh God, it's literally pay by selfie. Well, it's not like the picture would go into their gallery. It would be sent to, what is it, MasterCard? I don't see how this is easier than just carrying a card. Well, they say that this is more secure than password and PIN codes. Unless you have a relative who looks really close to you. Or the fact that, you know, it wouldn't be too hard to create an animated GIF of a person's face with them blinking and then uh, just use that to fool the camera. I get that they're trying to cater to people who like to take selfies, but it just seems kind of ridiculous. Well, the other problem that I also find ridiculous about this is that with the Apple Touch ID, the fingerprint verification on the iPhones, all of that is actually stored locally on the phone. So none of that data, it's it's just like a secured one of the, the chip cards where all the information is stored on the card. And so it's just a communication between your card and the point of sale. With this MasterCard app, it would actually convert the image into code, send it to MasterCard, and then MasterCard will do all the stuff on their end. So you just added an extra link in the chain, which could be easily, you know, broken. I'm just going to carry a card. MasterCard says they're also experimenting with voice recognition and by reading your heartbeat. Because neither of those is stupid. Reading your heartbeat? Your heartbeat changes, though. I know. And voice recognition. What happens if I have a cold? Or you're sick. No buying things for you. I just want some chicken noodle soup. That's it. See, that's not your normal voice. Or like, what if it's really loud in the background? Stores are not quiet places. No, stores are not quiet places that don't have great lighting. And some people get stressed while shopping. I feel like this is just bad all around. But this is MasterCard for you. So shall we hit the random review and random topic? Sure. Okay, uh, random review. Since Dave is not here, it's my week, and I'm going to review the Amazon Echo. Echo, Echo, Echo. Kate, does he look as proud today as he was yesterday? <laughs> yes, actually. <laughs> I'm sorry, but that joke was too good. To, I, I didn't want to just burn it on the first one. I, I felt like it had to be out there. If anything, he's smiling bigger today. Because <laughs> I feel like my Echo is actually was better this time than it was the first time around. Okay. <laughs> So, the Amazon Echo, $200 from Amazon if you're not an Amazon Prime member. Right now, if you are a Prime member, $150. And it's uh, basically if Siri and uh, a Bluetooth speaker got together. That's it. That's pretty much it. You can, It's a Bluetooth speaker, so you can have it, you know, play music from your phone or from some other website on there, which is actually pretty neat. You could 
actually tell it, because uh, you have to either call it Amazon or Alexa, one of the two, um, you'd have to tell it, hey, play some Johnny Cash, and it would actually go through the Amazon Music Library, if you have access to it, and play Johnny Cash. If you don't, it'll play you a sample of Johnny Cash and be like, hey, would you like to purchase this song from the Amazon Music Store? Um, it can also uh, play Pandora as well, which that was a new thing that was added to it recently, which was nice except for the fact that you could only play the most recently played pandora station if you were just talking to it, it there's an app that you download to and through the app you could choose your pandora station but you know if you're in the middle of cooking and you, you don't like what's playing on pandora and you'd like to change the station you, you say hey alexa change the pandora station and then alexa will say uh choosing your most recently played pandora station which is the one that's currently playing and then it will just start playing again you could skip to the next song that is true i uh, there there's you can interact with a bunch of other devices i.e like a like the nest thermostat and some of the other things there so it if you have other you know smart devices like some of the smart lamps and stuff then it can actually work well with those but when it's by itself it's just a glorified 200 dollars bluetooth speaker it also yeah. works with audible my uh, my sister and her husband have it, and I just remember when I was over at them at their place, them just yelling at it all the time. Yeah, some of the stuff that Alexa knows or doesn't know is quite apparent. Where it's it's interesting where you try and ask Alexa a question, where some of the stuff there is like I ask her a math problem, that's okay, but then I ask her uh, another question instead of getting the answer, I got the Wikipedia article for it, and so she just started reading the Wikipedia article, which was not helpful at all. I remember we would ask her things like, hey, what time is this movie playing at? And she had no idea about that. It would be simple things there. If I type that into Google, Google would say, okay, this movie is playing at this time and this time at these theaters. Simple things simple. that, you know, they you'd think that they would have programmed into it. It was kind of nice to ask what the weather was or like we could ask her the, the scores of, of other baseball games that we weren't watching. And she would tell us those, and that was nice. But, you know, I have apps on my phone that would take two seconds longer. It would be kind of cool if she yelled at you for dangling prepositions. What time is this movie at? I can't answer that until you speak in proper grammar. Well, they do have the uh, the software development kit is now live, so you can actually request it, which I somehow was on that list. I didn't know about it. Um, so if you want me to, I could write an app that uh, will try and correct your grammar. I personally about, think that would be hilarious. How about I just lock you in a room with my sister? That'll do it. Well, not my grammar. Just I'm saying everybody's grammar. I don't think you can win that fight. I'm not going to fix my eggs. I'm going to fix everybody's eggs. I hear that eggs are as good as they're ever going to get. <laughs> yeah, that is true. So we had this for a couple of weeks because we were sort of an intermediate for one of Andy's brothers getting a second one. Um, and we are not really set up well, I think, to utilize a lot of its features. Like our apartment is basically one room. Um we don't have a lot of interconnectivity with it. We don't have an Audible account. Uh, and so we didn't use a lot of its features. So if you've got some of the stuff that you can, you know, apps you can connect to it, like Pandora was nice-ish, but that was basically the only thing that we had connected to it. We didn't have any of the other smart stuff there. So it would be interesting if we had like a Nest saying, hey, Alexa, turn on the AC unit, or Alexa, turn down the temperature. That would be nice, but we don't. We just have a on-the-wall AC thing that we have to manually switch. Does your brother have all of those things? 
Yeah. So maybe he can give us a heads up on whether or not he likes it with all the extra things it connects to? Oh, this was his second one. He already has one. So I'm guessing he does. He liked it so much that he actually wanted a second one. So if you have all that newfangled like home automation stuff, then it probably would be really good. When if, if you're just getting it by yourself, it's not that exciting. It's kind of like buying an iPod if you don't already have a music library. It's like, oh, this is a great piece of hardware, but what am I supposed to do with it? You could also tell it to like add something to your to-do list or a shopping list. But we have a physical shopping list, and I don't know. We didn't find that feature all that helpful. Um, I'm on a I'm in a Kindle group on Ravelry, and there's a, a thread for the Echo, and some of those people really love this. There are people in that thread who also have two, and they really mention the Audible a lot. So, like I said, if if you got a lot of things, and probably you can go on the website and see if the Echo can interact with that stuff, it's probably great. By itself, is it worth the two hundred dollars? Not really. Not for us. Also, it helps if your phone is newer. Uh, my phone's a few years old, and it had a hell of a time connecting to the to Alexa. Um, it just it just wouldn't do it. So even though our Prime membership is under my account, we had Andy's hook up as the as the main account to it. And in order for the app to work on my phone as well, we had to make ourselves a household in Amazon. Which still was not as exciting as I thought it was going to be. I was thinking, oh, for a household, that means I can work with all of... Because Kate has the Prime membership. I'm just a secondary on the Prime membership. And so Kate thought, or I thought, oh, if Kate's got the Prime membership, that means I can finally actually, you know, because I'm in the household, get all those things there. But no, since the Echo was under my account, if you tried playing any Prime music, we would have to switch it to Kate's account in order to actually access the Prime music, even though we're in the same household. It was... I don't understand what the point of the household was other than to try and group us together, together. but not really group us together. together. Well, let me, like I could change the station. I could do things through the app before, before we became a household in, in Amazon, it would just re like it would have my app take over the echo, which didn't work out because it didn't really like my phone. Yeah. I mean, I guess if you already have your house set up for this and you've already got the household and everything, it would make sense. But for people who don't really, have all that extra bells and whistles, it doesn't make a whole lot of sense. Yeah, I think that's what we're trying to go with this one here. Is if It's a great piece of the puzzle, but it's not the whole thing by itself. So that's our review of the Echo. We should hit the uh, random topic, which I rolled ahead of time yesterday. And the question is, what is your favorite song about Detroit? My favorite song about Detroit is Heaven by Uncle Cracker with Kid Rock. Um Mostly because it's, it's, I think it's funny and ridiculous, and it makes fun of Salt Lake City. And so that just does it for me. And I always have to go with Don't Stop Believing by Journey because of South Detroit. There is no South Detroit. That's why he likes it. Well, that, and if you go well, to well, any Detroit sporting event and they start to play this song, everybody there knows that you have to yell South Detroit when it comes on. Okay. I'm terrible with songs. I could listen to a song every day for the rest of my life and not know the name of it. So I cannot name any songs that have Detroit in it. Yesterday, Andy looked up a Wikipedia article that uh, listed songs about Detroit or had Detroit in it. And the list was very odd. It included anything with any sort of reference to Detroit, including like Anaconda by Nicki Minaj. And I'm like, there's a reference to Detroit in that? 
Yeah, he just pulled that up again. Not only that, but it's like the wreck of the Edmund Fitzgerald, which happened in Lake Superior. So I don't know how that's related to, you know, um, Detroit at, somehow. We probably should have listened to a couple of these questionable songs in the meantime. Yeah, and then there's also Sandstorm It is on the list, which I don't understand that. I've got a favorite song about Kalamazoo. Yeah, no, uh, maybe the White Stripes have something about Detroit. I don't know. And then there's, I feel like there's better references to Kalamazoo songs than there are for songs about Detroit. You had a different list yesterday. There was like the top 16 or something. There were some good songs on that one. Yeah, the Detroit Free Press uh, did a list for the marathon last year of 16 must-have Detroit songs for your running playlist. That was a better list. So these are 16 great up-tempo songs that mention Detroit and were made by a local artist, Motown legend, or Detroit native like Jack White. So we have 8 Mile from Eminem, Don't Stop Believing by Journey, You Can't Hurry Love by The Supremes, Ball at the Ball with Kid Rock, Fell in Love with a Girl by The White Stripes. That's a good song. Lose Yourself by Eminem, I Heard It Through the Grapevine by Marvin Gaye, Detroit Rock City by Kiss, Respect by Aretha Franklin, Old Time Rock and Roll by Bob Seger, Kick Out the Jams by MC5, Come On, Come On by the Von Bondies, another good song, Psychedelic Shack by The Temptations, What I Like About You by The Romantics, Nowhere to Run by Martha and the Vandellas, and Right Around the Corner by the Detroit Cobras. This actually that- sounds like a good list. This is I need to make a running list with these things on it. I was going to say, that is a great playlist for running. So yeah, so I've got uh, Journeys Don't Stop Believing. Kate's got I've Got a Gal in Kalamazoo. By the Bronco Margin Band, not Miller. She's very adamant about this. Every, Every time, time I think we hear the actual original version, she says that uh, the Bronco Marching Band did it better. This, the Glenn Miller version is, is delightful. It's lovely. But it's too slow. And Kat's got Uncle Cracker, which I think will win the prize for the most unexpected. It's a funny song. I think I actually have an Uncle, Cr- an Uncle Cracker album somewhere in my system, because I think I've got it in my iTunes library. So I, at one point, actually went out and bought an Uncle Cracker CD. Or you acquired it from, her, from somewhere. You have been around a lot of radio stations. True, a lot of radio stations and going to the library. I hope you're not implying that you stole it from the library. Oh, oh. no, that would, be, that would be wrong. We just checked it out like a book. And listened to it before we returned it. Hey, can I give uh, one random library news? Sure. This is the Random Access Podcast, so random it literally is in our name. So the librarian who's the head of the Library of Congress is retiring, and it's actually an appointed position. So uh, he's retiring in January, and so President Obama will need to appoint a new one. And so they're taking applications, and they're specifically looking for someone who can bring the Library of Congress into the digital age, because this last guy, um, I think his last name is Billings, uh, basically refused to get on board with this whole technology thing. Um, I think he still sent faxes to his coworkers. He refused to get email. Refused to get email? I think that's what I was reading. My grandmother could email, and she couldn't even figure out how to use the the period button. So anyway, if uh, there's anyone who's out there who uh, thinks they'd make an awesome, you know, basically librarian for the biggest library, uh, they should apply. And I'd be very curious to see who gets the job and what changes they make. Yeah, because the Library of Congress, I do believe, was the one who was ruling on um, allowing phones to be unlocked so you could actually change uh, service providers with them. 
And I do believe this person oversees like the copyright law office and everything too. So they've got a lot of different stakes in technology that you just wouldn't expect from the Library of Congress. Knowing that the head of the Library of Congress refuses to use email because it's too technolo- technological makes that terrifying now. Yep. And on that happy note, Kat, thank you again for uh, coming out here. It's been a blast. Hopefully this was not as repetitive as I was hoping it was not going to be. Does no, that we do stuff. That sentence doesn't make sense. My apologies. All right. Well, I guess uh, that's a wrap. This has been another episode of the Random Access Podcast. If you have any questions, comments, concerns, corrections, suggestions, remarks, reviews, rebukes, retorts, or just rants, feel free to contact us. You can find us on Twitter at RAPodcast, or send us an email at mail at RAPodcast.net. Thank you for listening. Thank you.